Well, good morning, or good evening, or good after mid-noon nap, whatever time of day it is for you, or maybe you're in the middle of a 12-hour long shift, I don't know. COVID-19 isn't all cocoa and Snuggies, I know that. So wherever you are, however you're joining us today, thank you so much for joining us. We are Missio Day Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to grow in God's ways for the sake of our city, Phoenix. And we are part of the Missio Day community's family of churches. If you have never gathered with us before, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here with Missio Day Phoenix. We have been going through a series in 1 Thessalonians. It's a book that we find in the New Testament that's a letter actually written from a guy named Paul. And I invite you to join us by turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And if you're joining us for the first time, or if you just need a little recap because it's been a while, then I want to fill you in a little bit. So Paul is this Jewish man who is devoted to the God of Israel, Yahweh. He loves that God and he's seeking to worship him with his whole heart. And he wants to throw down and denounce any other false gods. And so he starts hearing about people worshiping this new guy, Jesus, and he wants to shut that down until one day he has an encounter with Jesus himself. And so he sees Jesus face to face and it completely changes his life. And instead of going out and trying to attack people who are following after Jesus, he's now risking his own life, risking being attacked, which he often is or was, in order for people to hear this good news that Jesus is actually the son of God. He is the king of all creation of the whole universe. And he has done good work to restore and reunite all of creation back to his father, back to God, Yahweh, the same God that Paul had been worshiping. And so he goes out and he starts traveling, risking his life, gets beat up, thrown in prison, all kinds of things so that people could hear this good news. And one of the first cities he goes to is this Greek city called Thessalonica. And it's there that he starts preaching the good news and people are livid. And so they kick him out. They run him and his friend Silas out of the town. And he's wondering what happened to those few people there who did believe that good news. Some people believe that Jesus really is the king of the whole world and that he is at work to bring restoration and fullness. And so he wants to know what's going on with them. It's a hard city to believe this truth because they were angry about it and they kicked me out. So he sends his boy Timothy to go check it out. And after getting a good report, hey, there's actually some people there, a whole community of people who are still holding on to this truth and living their lives in a way to follow after this Jesus. So Paul's excited and he writes a letter. He sends it back and it's a letter of encouragement and of thankfulness saying, you have shown great faith, love, and hope. That's the, the three things he keeps repeating over and over again, faith, love, and hope. But I want you to show that all the more. And so as we've been journeying through this book, we came to a section where he was, he was talking about their faith in the beginning. And then at, towards the end of chapter three, he starts talking about your love is seen all throughout the region. Everyone knows that you love people. Do it even more. And so I invite you to turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to pick up in verse 9. So Paul continues and he writes, About brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders 
and not be dependent on anyone. These are words written by Paul thousands of years ago, but they are words inspired by the true God over all of creation. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would open up our hearts, our ears, and our minds, and our eyes to see, to hear your word spoken to us today. God, that we would be transformed by your word, that we would be sent out as your people to love and care for this good world, your creation that you love and care for, to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like many other parents right now with the whole COVID-19 situation, I am learning how to homeschool my kids for the first time. And it's a difficult task. My kids are amazing. They're doing a great job. They're rolling with it. They're flexible. We're getting packets sent home from their school. We're so thankful for the educators that are doing such hard work to create these packets, to do online classes, to be flexible and adaptable in this crazy situation we're in. Uh, and so as, as one of those flexible and adaptable people, I'm taking on homeschooling for the very first time, something I said I would never do, but God had different plans for many of us, right? And so I have two fifth graders and a second grader in my house. And I got to tell you, I am struggling with the fifth grade content. Uh, I, I have a master's, but that second grade material is definitely much more my speed. And so I love helping out my youngest son. And the work that he's been taking home lately, today we were actually working on run-on sentences. I'm king of run-on sentences. I know them very well. I use them often, as people could attest. And so run-on sentences, we're, we're, I'm helping him work through, how do you take this one sentence that should be multiple thoughts, multiple sentences, and either break them up as they should be, or you have to attach some kind of joining word like and or but or 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 comma or something in there so you're not just running on and on and on like I'm doing. Uh, and so I was reading the text today and Paul is doing just that. The writer of this letter is writing a, a run-on sentence. He's starting with something about love and and, and how do you love the brothers and the sisters? And how do you love the people in your area? And then he moves into leading a quiet life. And then he moves into your work. And because we're taking this, this writing centuries ago in a Greek language, and we're trying to adapt it to modern English, what people have done is they've gone, oh, hold on, wait a second, get out the red pen, let's edit this. This is not, this can't be one long run on sentence, Paul. Let me help you out a little bit, right? And so they actually break that up from verses 10 and 11 into two different thoughts, two different sentences. But here's the thing. Paul wasn't writing this to you and I in Phoenix in 2020. Now, God has inspired that word and it still is useful for us today. God is speaking something to us today through it. But Paul had an intention to say something to Greek people in the first century. And he was saying something to them and his language and in his thoughts, this was not a couple different ideas. This was one whole thought. The idea of loving your brother and sister, the idea of loving your neighbor, the idea of loving your city and the people around you was also somehow connected to leading a quiet life and doing your work, doing good work, doing your job specifically. All right, and so when we read this and we think about it in our context in 2020 as U.S. citizens, sometimes we get 
wires crossed a little bit, but I want to I wanna jump backwards because we have to remember this is also leading off of another thought that's already been taking place. So the very beginning of chapter four, Paul writes, additionally then, brothers and sisters, after talking about love, he says, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. And then what follows is, this is how you live in a way that pleases God. Now listen, Tim Keller talks about there's a difference between pleasing God and appeasing God. What Paul is writing about is not to say, this is how you appease God, because this is what the Greek culture knew well. The Thessalonians knew about this well. Like there's this God that you got to give this sacrifice to, to appease them so they would not be upset with you. There's this God you got to do this sacrifice to, to appease him or her so that they're not upset with you and things go well for your life. This is not the God that Paul's talking about. What Paul said, the message he gave when he came into that city was there is a God who loves this world and he loves you. You were made in his image. He created you to be like him, to represent him and to be loved by him. And he's loved you so much that even when you turned your back on him and you rebelled against him and you worshiped all these other false gods and you worshiped your own self and your own work, he came in the flesh, Jesus, and he did all the work necessary for you and I to come back into a right relationship with him. He's already done it. The work has been finished by Jesus. That's the message Paul came to give them. It wasn't his work. It wasn't their work. It was the work of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the King of all creation. And so this message is given. And now he's saying, now, this God who has loved you so much, here's how you show love back to him. Here's how you live in a way that pleases this good God who has already given everything you need for life and godliness and love and flourishing. This is how you please that God, not how you appease the God, okay? And then what follows after that, how do you please this God? He starts immediately talking about your lust and how to control your body. How how do you live in a way that's right, that loves God? You live in a way where you control yourself because he says, this is what we talked about the last week, because if you don't, what you're doing is you're actually taking advantage of other human beings made in God's image, other brothers and sisters, in order to appease and please yourself, right? How, how many of us have been guilty of that, of taking advantage of others in order to satisfy or gratify our own needs, our own wants, our own desires? And so he goes, no, no, that's not a way that loves God. And it's not a way that loves other people. What Paul's doing is he is connecting, again, this run-on sentence, he's connecting the idea of loving God and loving people as one thought. How do you please God? You make sure you aren't taking advantage of other people. How do you please God? You care for others. Jesus did the same thing. When he's asked, what's the greatest commandment of all? God's given us these rules to live by. How do we live in a way that honors him, that glorifies him, that shows the rest of the nations what he's like? And Jesus says, he's asked for the one great commandment and he goes, love the Lord your God. And this next one's the same, love others. He connects them as one. They're not separate thoughts. It's, it's not a run-on sentence. It's one complete sentence. 
And Paul's doing the same thing. This is how you please your God. You don't take advantage of other people. And then he moves from your lust and controlling your body into lead a quiet life. That's weird, right? And then he, he effortlessly flows that into, and also do good at your job. What? What is he talking about? And so if we were to read this just in our context in 2020, as Americans, we read this and we go, oh, okay. Uh, mind your own business, right? Verse 11. Lead a quiet life and mind your own business. For some reason, every time I read that, I get that Fresh Prince of Bel-Air scene stuck in my head where Will Smith is teaching his cousin Ashley how to defend herself. And he's like, you just got to act crazy. And you go in there and you have a little tick and you're like, mind your business. That's all just, anyway, sorry about that. But that's a little tangent. That's always in my head when I hear that. But he says, listen, seek to lead a quiet life. Mind your business and work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. And when we look at this, like I said, in our context, and we think about it in our lens of work, this is what we think. We go, oh yeah, because our view of work, our view of work is to provide for ourselves and maybe our family, if you have a family in your household. Our view of work is I clock in so that I can get my paycheck when I clock out so that I can pay the bills I need to pay so I can keep a roof over my head and food in my belly and clothes on my back, right? And so we, we read that and we go, yeah, keep your head down and just do your job. Keep your head down and your nose to the grindstone. Do your work. Mind your business. Don't mess with anybody else, right? Their religion is their private religion. Their politics is their private politics. Just mind your own business. Stick to yourself. Lead a quiet life. Isolation. We're all kind of facing that right now, aren't we? You're hearing that and you're going, oh yeah, lead a quiet life. That's, that's quarantine. I'm feeling that. I don't think that's at all what this letter is about. I don't think that is at all what this dude is trying to say to the first century Greeks in Thessalonica. I think that's what we hear today in our culture and in our context, but we're getting it twisted. And so what we got to do is go back and go, what, what was the original intention to the original intended audience? And now through that, what is the spirit trying to say through these same words thousands of years later to you and I? And I think what we got to do first is address this idea of what does work mean? We can't look at work through our lens of what work is. It's not just clocking in, punching out, collecting your paycheck and going. And in fact, we don't work just to appease a boss or appease the bill collector. And we don't work just to get a means to an end, collect that paycheck. In fact, what God has called us all along to do with work is the work itself is actually holy. The thing that we're producing with our hands, the, the work that we are putting out there for the sake of the world, for the sake of our neighbor, that that is actually the purpose of your job. That is actually the purpose of your work. If you're not employed, if you're a student, if you're a stay-at-home parent, whatever the case may be, listen, we're not just talking about an occupation. We're actually talking about your vocation. And that word vocation does not just mean job. It actually comes from a Latin word that means calling. And what Paul's talking about here, and I think what God is trying to say to us today is he has a vocation for us. He has a calling 
for us. And we see it all the way back in the beginning of the story, uh, that first symbol of creation. We see it all the way back in the garden when God comes down and he, he does work in the garden. He, he gets his hands dirty to create the first human being. And he calls the first two human beings into a vocation, into a calling, into a work. There was work before we messed up the world, all right? It wasn't just a result of the rebellion or of the fall. There was work. God invited them into this process of doing work to cultivate the garden, to care for the land, to care for creation. Name the animals, feed them, tend to the plants in the garden and the trees, make sure it flourishes, extend it out. There's, there's a lot of like craziness and chaos outside of this garden. Keep filling it and subduing the earth and make it look like this beautiful plot of land that I gave you right here. That was work. They had a vocation. They had a calling to represent to the rest of creation what a good God and creator is like by extending his creation, by caring for his creation. And we messed that up. Why did we mess that up? Because we tried to take it into our own hands. The first humans as our representatives try to take instead something, a position and a place that was not theirs. All right, so Paul says, seek to live a, a quiet life is the phrase that we used in this version. And that was in verse 11, to seek to lead a quiet life. I actually prefer the NIV translation. This one says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition. And that's the second thing we got to talk about reading through our context and our lens. Because when we think ambition, how many of you are ambitious to lead a quiet life where no one really knows about you? Probably not many, right? We talk about ambition in our context as a good thing of like, man, I'm hungry. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to work and I'm going to get known and I'm going to be big and I'm going to blow up or whatever. Right? We're ambitious to climb the ladder. We're ambitious to increase our platform. We're ambitious to, I want to get more and more views on this video. So make sure you guys are sharing it, right? Like how many times are we ambitious for ourselves? to see ourselves grow, to see our, our platform rise, to see us gain attention, to see people applaud for us. You know, in James 3, I'm gonna put this up on the screen. James chapter three, James is talking about that kind of ambition. And he says this, such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. He doesn't just say, listen, don't be selfish. That's not a good idea. He straight up calls it demonic. It's evil. Why? Because remember, Paul's writing about love here. He's writing about caring for others. He's writing about looking out for one another and not just yourself. And in doing that, you are actually loving and pleasing God. And when you get selfish ambition, ambition for you to rise to the top, you are no longer looking out for your neighbor. You are doing work for you. You are no longer working with your hands to produce something for your neighbors in a way to love them and care for them. And so what he's not saying in leading a quiet life, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, he's not saying you will never, ever, ever, 
ever be able to do anything of worth or value or importance. He's not saying you will never, ever get recognition. He's not saying, listen, just try to like lurk in the shadows a little bit, right? And make sure people don't ever notice you. No, 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 no. There have been so many believers throughout history who have started revolutions, who have started movements. Jesus himself was that model. Jesus came in and he completely flipped their world upside down. I mean, he came in flipping tables over in the temple when they were trying to make money off of religion. Jesus came in and completely changed things. So he didn't just lead a quiet life where no one ever heard of him, obviously, because thousands of years later, we're talking about him right now. But this was also the same Jesus who, though he was the creator of the whole entire world, who circled above the the earth and could see it, he came down small as a baby, born into the poorest of poor towns, in a manger where the animals slept. Nobody knew he was there. To a poor little family. He lived his life as a homeless person. He, he never had a place to lay his head, he says. And he, he lived in this somewhat obscurity until, until he started telling people about the kingdom of God and inviting people into that kingdom. And that's what changed the world. Do you see this? The same thing happens with Paul. Paul's saying, hey, lead a quiet life. But this is the dude who came in and caused a riot in Thessalonica, the people he's writing this letter to. He caused a riot there. And he's now saying, lead a quiet life. Paul was not going in causing a riot for his own sake. It was not his selfish ambition. It was his ambition to lead people to Jesus. It was his ambition to invite people into the kingdom of God. And so a good ambition is not one that is selfish, but it's one that is self-giving. Is your ambition selfish? It's about you. It's about getting what you want. Or is it a self-giving ambition? I am willing to risk it all, to lose it all, to give it all up so that you could come and know the peace and the goodness of God and his kingdom, where Jesus is king. And I think that's the kind of quiet maybe that Paul's writing about in this letter. It's not the kind of quiet like, hey, lead a quiet life where you're just like, shh, over there in the corner. You know, the kind of quiet where maybe like you were told as a kid, like, hey, children should be seen and not heard, right? It's not that kind of quiet. He's inviting you into the quiet of the soul, the stillness of the soul, where you can be still and know that God is God. He is in control, even when we are not. Where we can rest in the goodness of him because he's already done the work for us. Because Jesus came and completely did the work on our behalf. He came and said, it is finished. I've done it all at the cross. He is the good shepherd who leads you, as Psalm 23 says, who leads you to lie down in green pastures, to drink from the rivers and to rest. He's the Jesus who says, come and work with me. Take my yoke upon you. And that was this thing that oxes would wear in order to go out and plow the fields. He says, take my work upon you, on your shoulders. Bear that because, he says, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Come to me, you who are weary, you will find rest. If you are tired and worn out from your work, 
Is it possible? Just ask yourself honestly, is it possible that you are working for your own ambition? Is your work selfish or self-giving? Now listen, there's a way to do this self-giving work too that actually becomes drudgery and it becomes draining and you just get exhausted if you're doing it out of your own strength. If you're trying to give to others, but you got nothing left to give. But Jesus, who gave it all in the power of the spirit, invites us to come into that work because then he says, I am also giving you my spirit. Those of us who follow Jesus, we have been given the gift of his spirit, the same spirit he came into this world by, the same spirit who he overcame temptation in the wilderness for 40 days by, the same spirit who he performed all these miracles by, who he did good work through that power, the same spirit that he went to the cross by, the same spirit who raised him up from the grave three days later. That spirit he promised to give to his people, to his church, you and I, brothers and sisters, so that we could experience the love of God and that we could take that love and love others with that source, that strength, the love of God flowing through us out to others. You won't run dry that way. You can be self-giving in your ambition because Jesus is giving himself to you fully and is flowing through you. This is what we're invited into. And so when you take that kind of attitude toward work, that kind of attitude toward, I will lead a quiet life because as John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he can increase talking about Jesus. Hey, it's not about me. When I'm loving and serving you with my work, with the work of my hands, with the work that I do, it's not so that I can get notoriety and I can get attention. I want you to know about this Jesus. That's the kind of work I'm doing. And so Paul's talk of love is, this is all of life. This is everything about who you are. He starts with, have control of your body. Don't let lustful passions cause you to go and take advantage of another human being. Don't let your desire to be known and be great take take over your ability to love and give. And that's what happened at the garden. Your job, humans, is to go and love and care for this creation. No, 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 wait a second. Maybe maybe God's holding out on us. We don't need this God to tell us what to do. Maybe we can take this throne for ourselves. And that's what happens at the very beginning. I, I started there, and I want to go back to that. The first humans, as our representatives, they reach for that tree and eat from that tree, the one tree God told them not to. They were given everything else. The one thing he asked them to stay away from, tend to it, but don't eat from it. They take it for themselves, the selfish ambition, so that they can have this place, this authority, this position where God was. No, no, no. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, one where you know your place rightly, that yes, I am made in the image of God, I am a representative of Jesus, the king, but I am not the king. And I am willing to give myself so that you can know this king because he's been so good to me because I know he will keep replenishing me and giving himself to me. This is the work we're called into. Some of you are off of work right now. Some of you during this quarantine are kicking back at home maybe. Others of you, by the way, are working much harder now. Others of you are, we have so many people in our church family who are on the front lines in the medical field. 
and you're working crazy hours and you're risking your own selves. This is the kind of good work that shows love for your neighbor, by the way. You're caring for people at the risk of yourself, self-giving ambition. Some of you are taking time to jump onto online classes and, and then grade your own kids' work and then create the next lesson plan for your students. Our teachers are working hard to compensate for what's going on in the situation. This is a self-giving work. But others of us have time off right now. and We're just chilling at home, maybe. Remember, work is your vocation, your calling. What are you called to be? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called into the work of showing and displaying what God is like. The kingdom of priests that God called Israel in the Old Testament. Every single one of them. There was a group of them that were meant to be the priests, but all of them he called a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests who would go and display to the rest of the world what he's like. We all have a job. How are you going to have the strength to do it? What's the source of your ability to do that? Is it coming from you? Is it coming from, well, I got I to gotta do this. I got to appease my God. If, if I work this way, if I, if I, can engage in this missional community, if I can go and serve these people, if I can study my Bible enough, God will love me. No, listen, you have already been accepted by him because of Jesus's work. Now you can enter into pleasing him by joining his work through the power of his spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is your job. Verse 